So this election pretty much took it out of me. I, I'm so happy with the result, but the process to get there was just draining. I told my friends I wasn't going to watch the election on Tuesday night. I was just going to check in every eight seconds. And that's exactly what I did for five days. And by the end of it, uh, I was utterly depleted. Like I said, I'm thrilled with the result. I'm filled with optimism and hope and relief that the the darkness uh, has come to an end uh, because it was getting pretty scary there for a while. So yeah, I'm burned to the socket and I thought to myself, well, what are the therapeutic remedies that are close at hand? What can I do to uh, to get myself back uh, on track? I figured I could, you know, get a massage. That was a possibility. I could pour myself a drink or two. I could take a hike. Uh, lots of options. But it turns out I figured the most therapeutic thing to do, the way to reboot in a quick and calming way, was to talk to a Canadian. And that's exactly what I did. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. I trust the Lord, you know that upon this open the door, headed for anywhere. On the road, watching the dawning, more that I feel it, the more that I want it. Touch the void, open the sky, follow the river, the river and dry. Into the ghost town, I'm getting close now, looking for something maybe shouldn't be found now. Here's my guest today on the program, Sam Roberts. Let me tell you a little bit about Sam Roberts. The Quebec-born Sam Roberts is, quite simply, one of the most gifted singer-songwriters around. Rife with poetic lyrics and some of the catchiest hooks you'll ever hear, Roberts is as commanding as he is introspective, and his work is textured, immediate, and arresting. Roberts got his English degree at McGill while playing in bands like William and North Star, but his 2003 debut album, We Were Born in a Flame, which came out under his own name, was a shot out of nowhere that announced a major talent had arrived. Since then, Roberts has put out three albums on his own and four with the Sam Roberts Band, including the fabulous brand new effort, All of Us. He's also a member of the Anyway Gang, a Canadian supergroup which features members of Tokyo Police Club, Sloan, and Colorado. As for Robert C.V., well, it's pretty packed. He's been nominated for 14 Junos, and he's taken home six of those. Along the way, he's opened for the Eagles, played for Prince William and the Duchess of Cambridge, performed Live 8, and played the halftime show at the CFL's 91st Grey Cup, as well as the NHL Awards. Well, I told you he was Canadian, but back to all of us, a riveting collection of sheer pop magic 
this might very well be Robert's best work yet. And it was calming to talk to him. So here's my conversation with Sam Roberts. Enjoy it right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. You know, I think when it came down to uh, actually releasing the record, you know, earlier this month, we had already become, I don't want to say desensitized, by, but certainly acclimatized to the, this sort of crazy rate of change uh, for all things, you know, moving from lockdowns to, you know, school shutdowns and um, touring, uh, you know, I think we'd already been thrown for a loop uh, and our heads are still spinning from it. So just throwing, th- throw, throw an album release into it and, you know, uh, just for good measure. Why not? Yeah. It, it almost feels like you have to do everything that you normally do in your life, but through the lens of the pandemic in order to fully appreciate what we're going through. So uh, I'm in a strange perverse way. I, I guess we're kind of glad that we get to see what it's like to, um, I guess, have to keep, use our wits to, to put out a record in these times and still have it find an audience really. Was there ever a moment where you woke up at three in the morning and thought, I shouldn't put this out, I should wait until it's all over? Or did you always have a steadfast idea of let's hit that date and get it out there? I think it's been a, it's kind of a, it's been a range of emotions, but certainly a lot of 3 a.m. wake ups, I think is, is pretty much, uh, you know, right on the money. And it actually started off with, let's just put this out right away. And we finished recording in March and I don't know what it was, but it, uh, I think the, maybe the feeling of sitting on the sidelines a little bit while, while everybody else was putting their, their sort of necks on the line, whether, you know, healthcare workers to, you know, the, the kid working in the grocery store, um, having to go and report for work every day in the face of this, you know, m- this mounting challenge. And here we are just sort of uh, sitting there. I don't want to say helpless necessarily, but at least feeling like we wanted to contribute something. And I think anybody who's a music fan feels that uh, uh, music can offer, if not answers, then at least a little bit of, uh, solace or consolation at a time like this. So I think we felt this actually a very pressing uh, desire to put the whole thing out at once. And of course the record label's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, we've got to make sure that people know that this is actually, um, you know, that it actually exists uh, before we push it too far. So I think more than anything, it was kind of frustrating that we sat on it for as long as we did. Yeah, I've been talking to people since the pandemic started. And like, for example, your fellow uh, countrywoman, Luke Cannon, I mean, her mm-hmm. whole her whole release thing got completely screwed up. And I felt so bad for her. And then finally, it was just like, well, let's just put it out there. And yeah, and what can we do? You know, exactly. Again, I, I'm, I'm glad to have something to offer people at a time like this, um, more than anything. And it, I, I don't know, I, I feel like the the whole idea of a record release shifts, you know, almost month to month anyway at this point and has done so for the past 20 years or so where, yeah. whereas it used to follow sort of a predictable series of steps, you know, in terms of the press that you put, you know, and, and the build up and trying to create a sense of anticipation. All the, these things get thrown out of the window every few months 
anyway, just because the platforms change, the media changes. So it's almost like we were prepared for these, these uncertain times. Uh, and at least in the sense that there is no playbook or rule book um, that extends beyond, yeah, maybe your two or three month period. So we knew we were going to be in tough regardless. And that's just part of playing music for, for a living, for sure. Well, what about the actual steps? Like there's a cycle to, you know, record comes out, you do the tour, come back, write, mm -hmm. however that works. That's now been completely upended as yeah. well. So have you, have you sort of recalculated yourself creatively? Are you now in the writing process? Are you, like, <laughs> that was happened to you, right? Yeah, we, we just skipped like the whole, the whole arc <laughs> somehow. <laughs> No, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, and, and I'm, I'm in the process of calculating, uh, you know, whether consciously or, or you know, subconsciously calculating what, what is, what we're supposed to do next. And not just myself, my bandmates, you know, and all of our friends who play music are sort of, okay, well, wait, we just put out a record. Normally we're supposed to go and, and tour and the right. tour, the tour is like the, the sort of focal point these days, almost more than the, you know, selling of a record for sure that that's no longer necessarily in play but the tour itself um, has been that thing that we throw all of our energy and drive towards and I think we're kind of realizing now that that kind of it's almost not to use too much of a farming metaphor but that sort of monocrop um, mentality is not it does not serve us well not that we have a choice necessarily but just having all those eggs in the touring basket now touring's gone so i think we're really being put to the test now in terms of like okay without touring what does this mean uh, wh what do we do how do we um how do we make this something uh tangible in any way um, and i think the jury's definitely still out on that point but you know, you've, you've already made me feel like I should get back to work and start writing some music. <laughs> it's true. Like, what am I waiting for? You know, it's well, just, I don't know. You want to enjoy it for a few minutes and just yeah. say, like, hey, we worked hard on this record. We worked on it for a couple of years and, you know, went to the studio and uh, yeah, you just kind of want to bask in the, in the, in the glory, but it's just not that kind of time that we're living in right now. No, no. And um, I know, like, well, what are you doing, Sam? You don't appear to be working at all right now. Um, but, but you use a farming analogy, and, and I'll use a, a severed appendage analogy. But you're, is there a phantom limb right now where you feel like you, the urge to be playing it, is the natural course of things for you? Is it, it must be very disorienting to have that taken out of the process entirely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the, the idea of touring and, and touring with a a record is brand new is uh, it's a moment that I think well, I won't speak for everybody, but I certainly in our band, it's something that we really, really look forward to yeah. is that that kind of raw and unpredictable nature of, of the early days of a tour when you're just getting on stage and trying to put this record that you've, you know, it's one thing to do it in the studio. It's another thing completely to translate it to live performance. And yeah, there's something about not knowing, how a show is going to unfold, how even from one song to the next, how that's going to unfold. And I think it's something that we've come to, uh, to relish over the years is those first few, few weeks of a new record. Uh, and, you, and you never get them back again. And then the record almost never means as much to you as it does in that time when you are uh, taking it to people, you know, hand delivering it to people and, and, uh, so yeah, I think I think we're we're really really missing that as a part of the 
you know, the idea or the act of putting out a record right now. How's your general anxiety about this whole thing? Are you, um, cause a lot of art, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine cause a lot of, a lot of, um, artists I've spoken to early on were sort of like, well, I'm using the time wisely. I'm writing, I'm doing stuff, I'm practicing, getting ready. And then seven months later, they're a little disheveled in terms yeah. of emotionally and financially getting worried mm -hmm. and because of how you make your living. Um, how, how are you day to day with all that? Um, yeah, I think all of those things have have been part of our re, uh, our sort of response to this too. At the, at the beginning, uh, it was this sort of realization that things were changing, but there was no sense of how long this was going to go on for. And I think the more that that sinks in, that this is a part of our reality for not just the very short term, but you know potentially the medium to even long term. When you're dealing with a, a, a a line of work that's as precarious in its nature as music is. Again, you're kind of steeled for it. You're kind of prepared for it because you you live with that unpredictability and that inconsistency yeah. all the time. So it's kind of in your DNA. But at the same time, it just uh, it just looks particularly uh, barren ahead. And so, what do you what do you do with that? And there's no there's no sugarcoating it at this point. You know, it's like we have, we have kids. I'm talking about myself anyway. I have kids, I have a family and you know, we've gone all in on this and there's right. no, there's no really going anything but all in when it comes to playing music. Not if you want to do it uh, for your, for your living, for sure. So, uh, and, and I guess in a way too, I mean, we're talking about music, but anybody from any walk of life or any profession has a very similar relationship and therefore, you know, it's probably going through the same, range of emotions as well about what their potential future looks like because you can only chip away at something for for so long before mm -hmm. the foundation starts to crack you know and um but i think the one thing we do have is this incredible tool which is the ability to write music and that music can fuel optimism in a way that few other things can and and we have a sort of uh sort of self-cathartic mechanism you know that we can indulge in or exercise when in order for to, in order to keep your head right mm -hmm. you know in order to kind of bring you back you can you can go and exercise that that creative uh muscle and it, it for me it helps kind of clear clear the air a bit and restore hope uh, and, and so, yeah, I, I think that that's kind of what, what I, th I see myself leaning on more than anything, you know, while all these other things are so far beyond my control, it's the one thing I can do. I can go downstairs and to the basement and flip on the, the recorder, you know, and, and try to try to bring something, not just into the world for other people, but also for myself too, to, you know. Yeah, it's a it's a kind of because I'm a writer and I always find that that there is um, when I get when I get to work, it the, the world just makes sense to me. It, it's a reset. Yeah, know? for sure. I mean, there's there's uh, there are far fewer sort of knee jerk, volatile reactions to things that are going on when you're actually sitting there contemplating something like writing, right. uh, you know, and um but I'm just like you, I save those knee-jerk volatile reactions for, you know, watching the evening news and, you know, throwing things at the TV and all, the, right. you know, all the other <laughs> impulsive things that we do in the face of uh, 
you know, uh, the times for sure. But yeah, it is a strangely kind of more meditative state that you can put yourself in. Uh, and and I've, I find it, it definitely helps a lot. I mean, it's sort of like the, it's like the translation machine. It's like the way that you make the world make sense, right? It's like when you do your art, when you do your stuff, um, it's, there's something that, that's kind of placid that happens um, when you're creating. And um, thank God for that, because I don't know, yeah. I, without that, I don't know how, how a lot of this would be bearable because it's how you, the world makes sense to you. Yeah, for sure. And in, in, in a way, it's like that, that sort of help, self-help part of the whole thing is what, I guess other we, we don't we think that we're doing it for ourselves, but it's it's that you're finding that common thread with other human beings while you're while you're delving into something personal. You're you're sort of unlocking a more fundamental or more universal experience that I think other people identify in the art, in the music, in writing, and they find again in 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 that thread, they find their consolation as well. So in, in a sort of kind of selfish act, you're, you end up doing something uh, that gives to other people, which, uh, which I, I, I guess I've, I've come to sort of see as a, as a good thing, that even though it starts as something very personal, it can mean something to other people. Have you always been pretty prolific in terms of your um, output? Have you, are you somebody who will, I mean, I imagine the Sam Roberts vaults are, there's probably a lot of stuff in there, right? I mean, have you been a guy who writes all the time or do you take, is there moments where like you won't write for a month or two? Oh yeah, I'm definitely the latter. I'm, oh. con I'm conlific. I don't know if that's a word, but it's a- uh, Look that up. <laughs> I think, <laughs> uh, no, I, I, I used to write more uh, for sure than I do now. And now I write with what I think of as being, uh, you know, in greater uh, intent and purpose and I, I try to write what I think of as being uh, good or, and necessary and uh, that's just my way of kind of probably uh, shrugging off the you know the, the whole duty of, of you know the creative life which is to write you know to, again to exercise it as much as possible but right. I don't feel like I gain some people do they'll write masses of you know, amounts of music, and then they'll distill that down into uh, the essential, and that will be their record. Um, and but then they're left, like you say, with this vault of of this sort of who knows. You know, some of it will be good, some of it will be amazing, and some of it will be uh, not good. Uh, I I don't write like that because it just doesn't come out that way. You know, I I think I just will hone in on something until until I feel moved by it. And, I, and that's sort of how I, I kind of measure the process or the progress of a song uh, is just following that emotion. Is it is what I'm hearing? If I'm writing something instrumentally at the beginning, do, is it, do I feel it physically, you know, or emotionally in some way? And if I do, then I, I keep going forward. And if I stop, then I'll go back and figure out where I, I kind of uh, lost my way. And that doesn't leave a lot of room for just throwing tons of paint at the wall all the time. Right. And um, so you end up with a lot less material, but it's material that you know that you're going to feel connected to. It doesn't mean it's good, but it's, it's important to you. And you have to then trust that instinct that if it's important to you, somebody else again will, will find that uh, uh, something uh, 
that they can relate to in it. Will you, are you better at knowing when to abandon an idea? Will you go like, oh, that's just not working. I'm just going to walk away. So are you better at walking away from it than you were 25 years ago? Yeah, for sure. I think if anything, that's the, pra- that's the part that, uh, you know, if you can say there's like the practice yeah. uh, aspect to it for sure has, has uh, more so than when, more so than getting to the right place faster. It's almost just sort of saying, no, this isn't working quicker so that you've sp- expend less time and energy on something that you, um, and I still, even at that moment, it's still this thing of just like putting it in the, the sort of, virtual you know virtual trash bin of your mind yeah still still a hard there's still always that thing at the beginning that that whatever that little impulse was that made you want to uh you know pursue the idea in the first place it's still hard to let go of but i'm better at just sort of cutting the uh, cutting ties at this point it's weird because i would think for me as a writer i have found oh i'm doing that thing i I can tell this is not going to work and i'll and i'll get rid of it um, but and you would think that would make the process faster because mm-hmm. I know how to I know what doesn't belong in that universe, but it's only it hasn't made it faster. <laughs> no, no, no. It's getting slower. It's there's it's no slower. question in my mind. It's getting slower. I know. You know. If I look at the time taken between records, and I I can heap any number of excuses onto that in terms of uh, the the requirements of touring or parenthood or you know uh, any anything. Um, when when the thing is working it will it happens relatively quickly when you're struggling or when you're trying to pull something out of the air that's not really there or not or reluctantly or reluctant to come along for the ride um yeah it's uh, it takes time and and i think part of it to me is just sort of acknowledging when something isn't right and being able to say i have to turn back and i think that that's something that i didn't do particularly i'm still not there but i didn't do it particularly well for quite a long time and i did i know for sure that i've settled on things and as much as i kind of recognize that that's a reality of you know trying to make something creative and therefore i guess open-ended in a way with something Mm -hmm. more tangible and finite like a the career part of it um you're going to compromise at some point, I suppose, you know, even saying that doesn't, I don't like saying that, but there's, <laughs> right. you know, I know I've done it. I'm not saying it's right, but I know I've done it before. I know I have compromised and I know I've um, turned a blind eye to certain creative things in, in, in sometimes just in the interest of getting it done. Right. Uh, you know, and, and, and moving on. Uh, and I just, with this latest record, I think if anything, if I, if I fought any one urge, it was that one to just say, okay, enough is enough. Let's just move on. And I really, really just stayed with it. It was almost like holding your breath underwater. It's like you can uh, squeeze out another 10 seconds, 15 seconds, you know, and I felt like that with this, this particular record it was just like, no, let's just see how much longer I can look or how many more angles I can look at this from and make sure um, that it's what it's supposed to be. And that took time for sure. It's really cool to hear you say, I mean, someone with a career that you've had to say that you're still learning and you're still mm-hmm. right. You're, the craft is not, um, something that you were going to say, like, I've got it down to a, to a mm-hmm. science and I have this, I know how to find the magic and then go to sleep. 
um, you're saying that you're you're still you're still refining, you're still learning. I think it's really good for people to hear that. Yeah, I definitely feel that way. I mean, uh, it's I, you know, there's no. It's, I, I can't speak to other sort of. Uh, I'm assuming that it applies to any sort of artistic or creative medium uh, that with practice comes certain like an ease with certain things, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're pointing in the right direction. And I think it's recognizing those two things. Yeah, I, I'm probably better at, cert, at certain things than I ever was before. You know, I can dial up a guitar sound quicker in my sort of demo. There are a lot of things that are have progressed, but there's this other part of it that has nothing to do with any of that so-called progression. And that is the part that you have to pay the closest attention to. So, right. It's also the part that's the most mysterious as mm -hmm. well. Right. Yeah. Um, are you pretty hard on yourself in terms of, because I, I sometimes I think like if I'm working on something and I have to go and I'm not done and I have to go live my life, like go to work or go you talk to whatever you have to do. Um, it's sort of, it's in the back of your brain and it, and it, it puts you in a weird space. Um, how are you with that in, in, in terms of that whole process? If something's not done, um, do you, are you hard on yourself in terms of like, oh, I need to go do it or I can't mm -hmm. leave the house until I finish it or can you let it go? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, it's funny because all of that played out over the last few years, you know, uh, and it's amazing how quickly four years can go. And that's the last time we put out a record It's 2016. And then we toured. Yeah. So you buy yourself with the tour, you buy yourself about 18 months. So now that puts us into, you know, actually put us sort of into late 2017, early 2018. And then, it, as it, then it's like, there's no more beating around the bush. It's time to make a record. So started writing, started doing all these things. And, but for some reason, just felt like it just wasn't going in the right direction. And in that time, I started to do all these other things in my life that had nothing to do with music at all. But there was this constant, like everything that everything else that I did you know it could be anything go out to the mountains near my home in montreal which i do a lot and, um, and but there was it was always there this feeling of the unfinished business right and it never left me and it was there and everything was done again was everything was filtered through that it's almost a guilt i guess you can call it legitimately a guilt that yeah no matter what you do you can't fully enjoy it because there's this thing that you know is really important that you have to finish. And one of the biggest sort of, I guess, the, the biggest moment of relief for me was when I just said, okay, I'm cutting everything else out right now. And I'm not going to, I'm not doing anything else until this record is finished. Oh, you did that. Was, wow. I did, I did do that. Um, but it took me a while to get there. And, and all the work that I'd done in that period of sort of having my attention split between a whole bunch of different things ended up not being of much value to me. It was only when I really went oh. and, and completely gave myself over to the process that, and at that point it kind of moved pretty quickly and came out uh, fluidly or freely, you know, and next thing you know, you've got a finished record, but it really did take that, uh, that kind of commitment from from my side anyway i remember hearing about like like bon Iver, like 
you know, went into the went to a cabin and you know killed a bunch of deer and lived for a month and a half and wrote this amazing album. Um, uh, but I I've never been able to do that where I can't mm -hmm. say like I'm going to take this amount of time and go to this place and write the thing. That feels that feels like it's too it's imposing too much pressure mm -hmm. um, to do something. Like, can you do stuff like that? Can you isolate time? And go. I'll write the record in two months on this island and mm -hmm. do, do this thing. I, I mean, it's possible for sure. And I have nothing but uh, respect for people who are able to do that. I've, yeah. cer I've certainly tried to do it before. We made a record in Australia in 2005. And I figured that by taking that leap, by going all the way to the other side of the world uh, and, you know, with a whole band and the, the clock is ticking, the second you get on the plane, the clock is ticking, you know, you're spending money that you don't have and all these things are sort of... Right weighing into the equation and yet somehow we still managed to come back after three months without a completely finished <laughs> record you know right. and, <laughs> well we had one our our a and r guy who's who's now a friend of mine you know a good friend of mine and uh came down after a couple of months we also figured that if we went far enough from the record label that we wouldn't they would never bother sending anybody to check up on us but sure enough the super vigilant came down and uh, we wined him and dined him and had him we were staying in this beautiful place in uh in uh near byron bay in australia and he was completely enamored with it but he, we didn't realize that he was such a pro that he never turned that critical part of his mind off he was never sort of fully wooed by this process and when he listened to this it basically at that point sounded like the most expensive demo you've ever heard, you know? <laughs> and uh, we were so full of, I think our, we were, our brains were so waterlogged and, you know, sun and sand soaked that uh, we didn't hear it for ourselves, but he heard it right. He heard right through everything, you know? So as much as I'd like to think that I could go off into a cabin in the wilderness, I, I might, you know, I might actually spend all my time snowshoeing around and doing the things that you go to a cabin for right. chopping, perfecting my wood chop. That's what happens right. to me. When right. I go to a cabin, I want to do cabin things and I stop wanting to write music. I, yeah. Yeah. I chop yeah. logs. I, I mean, that's how the clash got into trouble, right? They went, they went uh, to Jamaica to do Sandinista. I mean, and I, I have a soft spot in my in my heart for a lot of that album, but I know it's I know it's all over the place. I know a lot of that a lot of that album, but not the whole thing. I mean, it's like this. It's it's there's so much of everything going on in that record. And you can just tell that again, you know, throwing paint at the wall half the time. Sometimes you get something beautiful out of it, and other times it's you know. Well, else. they were clearly doing Jamaica things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you, you, it's filled with ideas, but it's so unfocused that mm -hmm. you can tell you guys were having a really good time in Jamaica, which is, yeah. which is awesome. Um, so that is the danger of, of doing something like that. I totally get that. Um, are, how, in terms of being improvisational, are you pretty good with rolling with changes? Are you good with saying, okay, that's, that plan is not going to work anymore. We've got this pandemic. Mm -hmm. We've got this. We've got... Are you pretty good or do you, do you get your mind set on something and when it's not going to happen, it really kind of dis is disruptive for you? I don't know if it's disruptive, but I don't like giving up on things. So it's a bit of a same, it's, it's kind of the same thing, but not quite. I, I won't, if, if and when I do change directions, I don't have a problem sort of shifting to whatever the new reality is, but I don't, I don't like 
starting something that I'd not that I don't finish. And that could be from working in a particular studio or working with a particular producer, or again, sometimes, you know, um, writing a song that is is sort of uh, pushing and pulling you in, in ways that you don't want to go. Uh, I'll still I'll still work at something uh, until I feel like you know change is inevitable, and then with change, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. But, You're good with, yeah. with that. I'm good with the change, but it has yeah. to. I have to get to that point, and I think the getting to the point can take me some time for sure. Yeah, it takes me about 25, 26 years to to get. Yeah, to that. it's like <laughs> just I'm almost there. I'm almost there. <laughs> yeah.
there is something, I mean, you and I are around the same age. I'm a couple of years older than you. And I have found now, I turned 50, you know, a couple, a couple of months ago. And I have found that I'm very aware for the first time that time is finite that because mm-hmm. I've always thought, Oh, I'll get that done. And one point. So now I feel a little more urgency, not in a bleak, weird way. No, it's like, you. you know, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. of a certain age. Right. So I want to do more stuff. And so I, it's made me kind of speed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, have, has, how has age factored in? Like, how are you different now than you were at 23? Do you think in terms of, of that whole process? I mean, I don't remember being 23 that clearly <laughs> at this point, but I can speak to what it's like to be, you know, 46 and uh, still playing in a rock and roll band, you know, and and how that inf- how that impacted the sort of again writing and making of this latest record was. Um, it's like you almost want to hide in your 23 year old self all the time. There's this natural sort of impulse to kind of, especially when you play rock and roll music is to be as, you know, sort of young and brash as you can. Right. Um, and to feel the world through that, uh, you know, to have that same sort of pulse. And then I think in, in making this record, I realized that the only way for me to keep going forward and to keep kind of opening doors instead of closing them was to acknowledge that I'm not saying like you're saying, like exactly what you're saying, not, not sort of roll over at this point, right. but it's just sort of, don't be afraid to talk about that. Don't be afraid to acknowledge that you feel differently about things and that you see through kind of different eyes. Uh, now and as soon as that, that was another impediment to writing in this record was um, trying to force different sort of ideas onto music that wanted me to just say what it what I was feeling now like the me of of today and it the music bounced because I always write music first if I have a process it's that I just write oh. music first and then write lyrics on top of it but the lyrics have to sort of um, not just respect the music, but they have to add to it. Otherwise there's a sort of, I hate writing nice music and then you ruin it with bad words, basically, <laughs> you know, I mean, if I just break it down and this record was just the kind of rejecting a lot of the stuff that I was writing about. Uh, and it was only when I started saying, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling nostalgic. I'm feeling a bit sentimental about, uh, where I come from or where, you know, where I've been and I want to look at it again and I want to, I want to celebrate it in a way. Um, whereas again, I think when you're young, when you're 23, it's always just forward, you know, just onwards somewhere, uh, as fast and as furiously as you can get there, you know, and, yeah. and it just didn't feel like that. And maybe, maybe just the way the world has been in the last few years has, has, exacerbated that that feeling in me uh you know being becoming a like a misty-eyed uh (laughs) middle-aged dad you know (laughs) just happened to coincide with a pretty tough time in the world you know and and the the best place that i found that i could look was back and um and but then in looking back you realize like anything you can't spend too long like you know uh staring yeah. at it without you know doing harm and so you just take the things the good things that you can from from it and then go forward again sort of renewed 
you know, rearmed with, with, uh, yeah, the, the, the things that you need to go forward again. Yeah. I think misty eyed middle-aged dad is a good name for an album. <laughs> <laughs> It's a really good place. <laughs> I've always liked your your lyrics have always been one of my favorites because I always feel there's so much there's so many unexpected um, whether it's subject matter or phrases. Um, you're one of my favorite writers because you I never know what's gonna happen and it's always really unexpected and really fresh and really cool. Um, like a song like Taj Mahal has always meant so much to me um, for these last 20 years or so. It is I, I go to that song constantly um, when I'm doing my radio show when I'm um, you know just out in the world at doing whatever I always have that on my on my uh, playlist and there's something about your work where it's interesting to hear you say that the music comes first because the lyrics to me are are um, I mean I, you're one of my favorite writers and so it's just so it's interesting to hear you talk about that but we're, in terms of lyrical what you allow into a song mm -hmm. um, it seems like you the antenna is really open um, and up at all times because the stuff that comes in is is always, like I said, very unexpected. Yeah, I mean, thank you first of all that's for your for your kind words for sure. And but I, you know, I I do feel like uh, the music that you write will somehow still as as open as it seems, the music can be quite exacting or demanding about what fits mm -hmm. into it or not. Um, even from the one word that has a certain, you can have, you know, two, two words that mean the same thing, but one is just slightly more rhythmic. One is slightly more, you know, sort of musical. And, and in that process, you're sort of, you tell your story, but you're sort of, as you select words or images or from, from the English language, you know, you're sort of, uh, you're finding the most musical way of expressing those ideas. And, some songs, like a song like Taj Mahal that you bring up, it's just sort of, they kind of write themselves in a way, you know? I mean, the story itself is a musical, uh, it seems if, as much as you can build this beautiful building, the Taj Mahal, about this love story, you know, that if you can, if, if the love is that strong, then you can definitely write a song about it too, you know? So right. um, uh, it's, it, it's one of the things though that I find, um, you can really get bogged down if if the words in a song are important to you then uh, it's it's where the process can uh, grind to a halt if you're going to stay faithful to that uh, that practice because it's so easy to just sort of throw anything at it and go with and you know and oh it still sounds good and people are still tapping their toes and snapping their fingers you know when they listen to it but there's always this part of it and I think uh, you know, somebody like Bob Dylan or Paul Simon, John Lennon, Ray Davies, uh, you know, who were, who managed to do both things was always to me, like the biggest, uh, I don't know, inspiration, I guess is the word, you know, um, because it became clear that you could, you could do, you could, do, you could have people snapping their fingers and tapping their toes, but say something that, two weeks later it kind of hit them like oh you know what's the sense in changing horses in mid midstream it's like you know i don't know where does that line come from you know it's, it's right. made, and um i always really like that I, I always feel like it kind of adds sort of layers onto a song that you can peel back over years and years and years as well and that's the kind of relationship that i like to have with music is um 
sort of have have my my own connection to it change over time and that's words are the way into that i find yeah and those guys you mentioned who are my my favorite guys too if you read a paul simon poem mm-hmm. right because i i know when i was an english major in college there in the norton anthology of literature like there was some paul simon they had Paul Simon in there and I was like, oh, and Leonard Cohen as well. And when you read those guys, you can hear their voice so clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like they were tapping into like the economy of the words and the choices of the phrases um, is unmistakably Paul Simon. Like you can literally hear his voice as you read those words in your head. Um, and I, I mean, that that is just, and, and that was, he was really young, Dylan too, like when they mm-hmm. found that that voice. In terms of you finding your voice as a, as a lyricist, is that something that you feel is pretty fixed or do you feel that's also something that you're still trying to perfect? Yeah, I mean, for sure, I, it, didn't, it didn't start off uh, particularly well in that department when I was a teenager. <laughs> so I've come from a pretty dark place when it comes to like writing lyrics and songs. And because of that, I'm, I will forever be uh, in pursuit of, of something better for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, that's, that to me is, it's, it's strange because it, it depends, it depends what's important to you at the time too. I mean, sometimes it's about telling stories. I love Ray Davies for that. You know, he's always finding these characters and telling stories about life and sometimes hitting on deeper things, but you know, through that strange man who lives alone, living up the street kind of thing, you know? Uh, And then there are other times where you're just like, brutally direct and honest, you know, um, the way like a John Lennon song makes you feel, you know, song like Mother or something like that. Um, where it's not cloaked in anything, you know, it's not cloaked in metaphor at all. Uh, and so I find myself sort of always shifting between uh, those different ways of writing words. And, uh, and this time around for, for me anyway, it was very much about being as direct as possible uh, and not sort of not, yeah, not skirting the issue, so to speak, with, with imagery and, and metaphor. Do you think consciously like this will be a first person narrative or we'll do this one from the second person or is that, mm-hmm. is that a decision that, that comes or is that something that you actually in the discovery process you find out, you find out you know, as, a, as a, almost like a surprise like you didn't even know? Yeah, a lot of times. I mean, I, I, I'd hate to dispel too much of the myth by telling you how random certain things are, you know, like one of the things I've noticed is that it's really important that you get, when you're giving something a working title, you have to be really, really committed. To, like, not, and even that's an oxymoron, like being committed to your working title. But I find that whatever I use as the working title, it becomes the name of the song and oh. it becomes what I write about. So and 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 maybe in looking at it sort of from another angle it's there's a maybe there's a method to that too because you're having an emotional or sort of visual response to something that you're hearing in the music that you've written and it's like what do you hear oh wolf tracks i don't know why but now i've got to write now i'm stuck and i got to write this song about wolf tracks and that's happened to me i'd say 95% of all the songs that i've ever written have wow. been just born out of what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear this? Like, what is the idea that comes to mind? And it, it could be a word, it could be a phrase, it could be anything. And then all of a sudden you're sort of chasing this 
thing down and 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 then you realize oh wow it really was about that that working title is exactly what it was you know it really was about that the whole time and uh yeah i'm not really sure why that happens but uh, yeah it's true and it seems extremely random yeah it's i mean it's really interesting too i mean i love wolf tracks too and i love the idea that it almost <clears throat> the song almost even sounds like wolf tracks like it, it has that feel to it well, that's what i mean exactly that yeah and i'm listening to it the same way that you are you know that there are no words to it at the time and you've just written this piece of music and you know you close your eyes and what do you what do you see you see wolf tracks okay well you know again now i've got to wait a year and a half to figure out <laughs> how the hell to write a song about wolf tracks that means <laughs> something you know you're you're a patient guy sam robert <laughs> i am now you know yeah. I probably getting back to your previous you know i probably wasn't nearly as patient when i was 23 but uh you know there has to still be some i think there's a dance to be done you know between that patience and urgency because we are still a rock and roll band and i think that you know spontaneity has to play a role in all of this too yeah you have to allow for that too it's so easy to think through every single detail and kind of flatten everything out not have those weird spikes you know or dips and uh i think it's important that a record feels that way you know still has those random moments of you know that don't feel like they've been cons overly considered you know. yeah you know it's interesting i i've brought this up and and i think everyone thinks i'm a little bit nuts but i i think that there's something about being young with your libido the way it is mm -hmm. like i look at my old poetry from 19 to 25 and every poem is 40 pages and it's just like and i'm convinced that it had to you know it's like it's all they're all terrible it's like the girl is doing this and it's like you know i think i was so driven by libido and like you know looking for girls that it was like a rush and of an exuberant kind of explosion of mm -hmm. work as you get older, that was getting depressing, but as you get older, <laughs> it's hard know, not to say the words, you know? I know, I know. <laughs> but you do kind of, I mean, it, the urgency is not quite there. It's like you still, of course, um, desire is alive, but it's not the same kind of desire. It's, it's mm -hmm. a more seasoned, considered, mature desire, right? Mm -hmm. um, this is like the, this is like the worst uh, erectile dysfunction commercial you've ever heard. <laughs> but, but it really more is about- More seasoned I mean? desire. Do you, do, you, <laughs> do you feel seasoned? Um, we have a pill. Uh, but the thing is, I do think that there's something about that rush of work that comes. I, I'm convinced it's connected somehow to the raging hormonal thing that we're mm -hmm. going through at, at 18, from 18 to whenever it may be. Yeah, for sure. And I think rock and roll is tailor-made for that feeling. Um, I, you know, it's that, that, again, that pulse for sure. And, and there's also, you know, just to add to that, this sort of, uh, me versus the world that you can't help but feel when you're yeah. 18, 19, 20 years old. And th again, throw that together in this crazy ball with your libido and all these other things. Uh, and you get this really amazing, explosive, uh, music and, you know, as much as I think it's important, it is important for me and for anybody to, you know, so that we don't just fully see ourselves as seasoned, uh, you know, <laughs> that we look, that we try to reconnect that, uh, re reconnect with that feeling, but you have to do it in an honest way, you know, right. and that, that to me is the, ch is the challenge of being 46 and writing, uh, 
music now is sort of still still where where are the places in my in my heart you know that i still feel that same kind of uh fire burning and that's where i have to look to write songs right exactly exactly because the in the old days it was just basically i love that girl and no one understands me yeah. and it's like that's fairly one note that's kind of <laughs> it's one dimensional but finding the place in your heart where that stuff still burns is um that's more strategic and it's more um because it's more localized it feels like it's 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 richer mm -hmm. yeah exactly you know and i think it's, it's something that it, i guess it's part of the process of of an evolving process you know is sort of realizing that because you find yourself sometimes just looking around not knowing where to look right you know uh, not no, not knowing where to look for ideas, you know. Are you going to sort of uh, write only about how you know the world is moving in the wrong direction? How we're sort of on the precipice of, of catastrophe all the time? Well, that's one thing, and you can feel. Uh, certainly, when my kids were just born, I, I I had a very hard time moving away from that as a theme. And it's just you know, as much as you're looking at your kids with this, you know, incredible, infinite love, you're, you're, the other side of your gaze is looking at the, you know, the world around and the, you know, all the fires that you've now want to try to put out. And, uh, and I, I think at, for at least a couple of records, that was the, that was the focus, you know, and now I, I don't want to say I'm moving, none of those problems have been solved, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> my my your gaze shifts elsewhere you know how are you with friendships are you have you been able to i spoke to um tim baker i talked to the guys from the trues and i spoke to um uh great big c um and they talked so much about community and how important mm -hmm. community was to them and how they feel this really um rich support um, do you do you have that in your life? Do you feel that way geographically? Do you feel that way in terms of your friends in the industry? Um, is that something that's a that's a big part of your of your support system? Oh yeah, man. It's it's hard to I can't overstate that uh, the role that that plays. I mean, starting even with just my band, my bandmates and I. You know, three of us went to high school together and uh, you know grew up playing soccer together and, you know, riding BMX bikes through our neighborhood. And so, I mean, the, the, the connection runs very deep, but then on a, a sort of wider scale, a lot of the people that we make records with also went to high school with a, we had, um, you know, we, we shared this love for, for making music and somehow all managed to find our way through the impenetrable barrier of, you know, like from, to make it your your career and and just in Canada in general I mean I don't know if it's I don't know why but maybe it's emblematic of the spirit of the country too that we live in that, that there's this this at least an attempt to foster a community and connection between people and and we've you know we're, we're really all those bands that you mentioned you know uh, are are people that we have either shared the stage with or, you know, a few laughs on the road. And it's nice to know that there are other people who are living through the same kind of, it is a, it is a bit of a strange way to, to live. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you need people who, who get it too. And, and I think we've all kind of 
uh, sort of bonded together uh, over the years, and 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 we enjoy a lot of support as well from just our, the communities that we come from too. You know, uh, we're not completely adrift up here. We get we get support from our local federal government to keep playing music and, right. and people people pay taxes and some some of those taxes do go to supporting people who work in the arts uh so yeah it makes you feel good about um where you live where you come from who you share the space with and 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 knowing that they're they value what you what you do it also says a lot about you that you're maintaining friendships for all these years um you know, you, you, must, you must be a good guy, right? You must be someone that people can rely on and you're consistent in your life. Um, someone, one time a therapist friend of mine said to me, I don't trust people who don't have friends at, uh, from, uh, from grade school. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, that seemed kind of reductive, but I thought about it. I thought, you know, it is true that if you can consistently show up for people your whole life, um, that does say something about you as a, as a friend and as a person. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, I'll, I'll say the same thing about the friends that, you know, I count as my friends. I mean, they're the ones who have also been uh, right. consistent and kept us, uh, kept us together, you know, and there's, yeah, there's, there's no question that having those bonds with people makes this all that much uh, more of a beautiful thing. You know, it's about sharing. There's nothing worse than feeling that you're out here on your own, um, success or lack of success, both extremes require deep friendships. You know, yeah. when you're doing really well, you need people to pull you back down to earth. When you're not doing well, you need people to pull you up, you know? And, and, uh, uh so there's, yeah, there's, there's no question that, uh, it's why we're still doing what we do. I think if I'd just been completely isolated and left to my own devices, I would, I wouldn't have found my way here, you know? And by here, I mean, sitting, in my living room, still talking about making records, you know, right. and still thinking about making other records and what's to come, you know. Um, what is the plan for the future in terms of the immediate future, not the the actual, the bigger future? Right. Um, what are you What are you going to do in terms of like what does the next six months look like for you? Uh, wintry, very wintry, and. Uh, <laughs> So no, I mean, we're, we're, we're trying to throw all the energy that we have in this release, probably more than, than any we've done in the past. And I mean, by that, I mean, just like getting it, getting it out there to as many people as we possibly can, keeping the fire burning while we can in the absence of, of being able to tour. But I do feel that by the time we're able to go and play shows again, this record is going to be you know, seven, eight, nine months old, maybe even more. And yeah. we'll need, we'll need to, uh, I think we'll, we need to work on another one, to be honest. So that when we do go back on tour, you know, getting back to earlier in our conversation, just about that feeling of going and playing in a new record, um, a sort of infant record for the very, very first time uh, is something that we really, really thrive on. And, um, so I can't imagine not doing that the next time we go and play. So, yeah, I, and I have no other excuse either besides working on new music. And you know, <laughs> there's literally no, I could think of a million different things and none of them would be true, you know? So Right, 
Right. No, I know. I mean, I always feel that when, when this is all over, I should have something to show for it. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to write a new book um, in the next, I've, I've challenged myself to have it done before the, the first of the year. Um, there are times where I walk by my bookshelf and I see the collected works of Charles Dickens and I go, I should probably be reading that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's a good, you know what, that's also on my, you know, it's a sort of a bigger list than just what to do during the pandemic, but uh, reading all of Dickens is also part of my life plan and probably, you know, should be for most people. And I think I'm four books in now and none of the big ones, you know, I haven't read the Pickwick, I read the first like half chapter of the Pickwick papers, you know. And it's going to be, it's like, better get cracking, man. Like, yeah. That could take... Forget about all the other projects. Like that could literally take me, especially now that I fall asleep every time I start reading, <laughs> take me, could take me to the end of my days, you know? Did you do Bleak House yet? Nope. So uh, Tale of Two Cities and Great Expectations. Great Expectations is still, maybe it's cliche, but it's still my favorite of the ones. Great that, one. You know, I just love, love that story. That, that one has a great argument not to be a hoarder with that Miss Havisham's uh, attic with her cake and her wedding. Exactly. Early, early lessons, you know? Early lessons, and right. There's another one that my dad always brings up, Joe Cargery, who's Pip's, uh, I guess, adopted father. Uh, no, it's his actual dad. No, it's his adopted father. Anyway, he says, um, if you say something smart or say something important, never repeat it, even if you want to. Like, say you say something... Um, in conversation that's very poignant. You've got to fight the urge to not say it twice, which I find I think about a lot. You know, when you say something, you're just like, wow, that was pretty good. Maybe I should say that again to make sure that everybody heard it. Right. Think some smart. But uh, I do that. That's great advice. Cause, and that goes with, <laughs> with the jokes too, like never repeat a joke. Exactly. Just right? put, it, put it out there. Let, let it live on its own. Um, Bleak House, um, I have not read it, but a friend of mine told me it's the only uh, book in literature where someone spontaneously combusts. Yeah. Well, there you go. If that's <laughs> not a reason to read it, I don't know yeah. what it is. <laughs> um, I really appreciate your time. You've always been one of my favorite guys, and so it's good to talk to you. And Thank and you very much. Have a chat. Yeah, thanks for doing this. It's been a real pleasure. Like I said, any chance that we get right now to talk about music and that is very much welcome and appreciated. So thank you for having me on. Well, there you go. Sam Roberts. I, uh, I look, He's a great guy, and uh, I love his record, and I feel better. My nerves have calmed down. They are restored back to their normal, even, calm place. And I feel pretty confident in saying the United States is headed that direction, too. So uh, all, all good things. Uh, the album, Sam Roberts' brand new one, All of Us is what it's called. It's phenomenal. Go get it. SamRobertsBand.com is the website. Visit him there. See what's happening with him. I don't know when Sam's going to hit the road again, but one thing I do know, you're going to love his album. Uh, Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use. Subscribe. Leave us a rating. Maybe a little review. Tell a friend. Uh, whatever order 
those four things uh, are done in uh, makes no difference to me. Uh, you can even do three out of the four. You can do two out of the four. Uh, don't do zero out of the four. I'm just asking you to hit a couple of buttons. That's all I want from you. That and your uh, unconditional love <laughs> both don't require you to leave the house. So it sounds like a lot, uh, but when you think about it, it's kind of not. You can visit me online, alexgreenonline.com, or you can just find me on Twitter at Ember's Editor, or follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast, or just email me, editor at stereoembersmagazine.com. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Sam Roberts. I like the way you talk about the future. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers the Podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. Just a road, you know that upon it Open the door, headed for anywhere On the road, watching the dawning More that I feel it, the more that I want it Touch the void, open the sky, follow the